Uh, we, this is December, and as usual in December, my uh, mode of operandi or my desire is to take this month and talk about some Christmassy stuff, if you will. And if you are following us on uh, Facebook, you, I posted some things this morning there. Uh, if you follow the church on Facebook, by the way, you should. That uh, I had found, oh, and, and I'm just going to read it. And just as we get started this morning, if you're one of those who tr- who who has trouble with much of the pomp and paganism associated with the so-called Christmas season, we can certainly sympathize. We feel the same. First, there is much scriptural evidence that the time period associated with December 25th marks the anniversary of one of the most miraculous events in human history. No, Christ was not born on December 25th. Everyone knows that. The biblical evidence, however, is great that December 25th marks the real miracle of the incarnation, and that's his conception. We're going to talk about that. Secondly, this season offers a tremendous opportunity to get the word out in an effective manner. At a time of receiving gifts, What a wonderful opportunity to share with loved ones and friends a good Bible study about this issue, about who you are in Christ, about the gospel. It's a wonderful time. Because you know what? What are they talking about? Christ, God. They're already talking. So just give them God. So rather than abusing the season, let us use it. First to rejoice in our great Savior and then to get the wonderful message of his love and grace out to others. So you'll see that post there. I did that this morning. And I really, I want to get into Galatians 4 here with you. And uh, I've titled this, Tis the Season. This is part one. We're going to have four parts, maybe five, or 17. I don't know. I'm known to go. But not really. I'm hoping not to go that long. I just want to take us through some, something here in Galatians 4 that's very fascinating to me. It's been fascinating over the time. And uh, we are going to talk about how to date the, the, the birth of Christ um, that is the number, a video on our YouTube page, that's the number one video is where we did this several years ago. I'm like 150 pounds heavier, and the, the, the old camera, it's grainy. I, was look, I looked at it the other day, and I'm like, you know, we really need to redo that one. So we're, we're going to do that one morning. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to take a Romans hour and do it, and, or take this hour and do it. I'm just not sure yet, because what happens is people's attention span has shrunk. So they're like, give it to me in 10 minutes, man. Come on. So I'm working on trying to do that in 10. It ain't, I guess it ain't happening, okay? But we're going to work on that, and, and we'll see, and we'll have a good time with that. Again, I do hope that you do understand that this time of the year, it, it is the conception, and that's really the real miracle of Christmas is the virgin birth, the virgin conception uh, with Mary there and so forth. In Galatians 4, I just want to read, let's just start reading verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differ nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his Son into our heart, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's a great passage, and it's a passage that we go to and we use a lot, talking about the issue of our sonship. I would like to approach the, the passage from a Christmas tis the season vantage point because there's information in verse 4 that's critical to this time of year. Verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. And when he's talking there about that issue in verse 4, I want to spend some time with you and show you when he says, When the fullness of the time was come. That's very specific. And the, the, the angel appearing to Zacharias and Elizabeth and to Mary and to Joseph just doesn't happen on a happenstance. Oh, I think we'll go do this today, okay? It, it happens on a 
timeline, very specific. And I would like to investigate that with you and look at it and look then at some things. But in order to do that adequately, this morning I just want us to look at Galatians 4, the first seven verses here, and get the context. Get what Paul's driving at in the book of Galatians and what's happening here. In the book of Galatians, Galatians, come over to 2 Thessalonians or 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. When we come to the Word of God and we're going to study the Word of God, we're going to do it God's way. God wrote a prescription on how to study His Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, we know the verse. Study to show, study to show thyself approved. You're studying this. You know, somebody asked me, you know, when you study, what are you studying for? I said, well, first of all, I'm studying for me. Secondary, I'm studying for you. I study for me first, and then I'm then we use that, and then I'm studying to teach. So you've got, I, you know, study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, of, uh, rightly dividing the word. Of tr I, it's our verse, and I, here I struggle with it. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there's a there's a there's a system in dividing and rightly dividing the word of truth. Not truth from error, but truth from truth. So when you come to God's word, all of God's word is true. It's truth. It's his word about the events in human history and what he's doing, what his eternal purpose and plan is. Now in, verse, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul lays it out even a little bit more succinctly when you come to the epistles, his epistles, but then there are also Hebrew epistles. And this this formula applies to all of the Hebrew, all of the epistle-type writing. Not all of your Bible is written in epistles. You go back through, and you've got historical narrative. You've got prophetic utterances. Then you've got historical narrative, the Gospels again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you start out historical narrative. Here's what history of Israel is. Then you got what the prophets are going to say. Then you go back to historical narrative in the earthly ministry of Christ. But you also have sprinkled in their prophetic, prophetic utterances as well because the Lord tells the future. Then you come to Paul, Romans, the Philemon. But then you go Hebrews through Jude. Revelation is an epistle too, but it also has historical narrative and prophetic utterance in it. So you, Revelation is kind of a catch-all. He's got all, all kind of types. So when you come to the epistles, notice verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine. So you're going to start with the doctrine. Then you're going to move for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So you're going to move through the epistles. Romans, a book of doctrine. Then there's a reproof. Reproof is fixing bad behavior. You know how you do that with children, don't you? It's called discipline. So Paul is going to rebuke and discipline the Corinthians. The greatest commentary on the book of Romans is 1st and 2nd Corinthians, ever written. God wrote it. There it is. Then you got correction. Now correction is correcting bad doctrine. Let's fix the bad doctrine. And that's where the book of Galatians fits is in bad doctrine. So the Galatians have bad doctrine going. By the way, Ephesians, next level of doctrine. Philippians, let's, we got some bad behavior. The Philippian believers are mature believers. They've been in this quite a while. Paul calls them perfect. Verse 17 defines what perfect is, that the man of God may be perfect. What is that? Comma, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So maturity, yet they have some bad behavior. They're allowing their emotions to run and to rule and reign rather than keeping all that under control. Then you come to the book of Colossians, and now we've got some bad doctrine and going on at Colossae and Laodicea, and that is that they're not holding the head as the head. They've got other things replacing who the Lord is, and so he's going to fix it. Then you come to Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians, and now we have the doctor, doctrine of the end of the dispensation of grace. We call it the rapture. But you notice there's nothing else after. There's no reproving and correcting because once we all go home to be with the Lord, guess what we are? We're perfect, aren't we? No sin, we're, we got our new bodies, we're up there, boom. But then you come to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, who are, are what? Epistles as well. And guess what? Now you've got the doctrine of the church, the local church, what's going on with it. Then you've got, hey, 
here we got a little correction going to happen, and we got a little fixing here. And so you, it follows that routine. My point is, come back to Galatians chapter 1, is in Galatians there is a, I'm, I'm sorry, Galatians 4, there's a problem. There's, they are mixing grace and law. They're putting the two together. Look at, I, told, well, I don't know where I, or are you in Galatians yet? You don't know where to go. I don't know where to take you. Let's go to chapter 3. Look at Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish, let's do that, exactly. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? They've been bewitched. If you go to chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel uh, from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As, it, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have, notice, received, let him be accursed. Notice the preacher the guy preaching the wrong gospel, he's, on the, he's held accountable, and they're held accountable, verse 9, for receiving it and not running the guy out. <laughs> they, they accept him. So there's this issue that there's trouble. By the way, the word accursed in chapter 5, Paul defines that as being cut off from you. So accursed doesn't mean eternal damnation, never to see you know, the light of day. It means to be removed, cut off. There's a problem Chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? The bewitching, foolish, slow-minded, they've been bewitched. They've been told, hey, they've, you know what they've been told? Yes, you're saved by grace, but you know what? You need to really come over here and live under the law of Moses. You need to be tithing. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. And Paul, is going, he's, he's, not, he's not happy with them. He, he, he says in chapter 6, you see what great big letter I wrote. I think he wrote this book originally in all capitals. You know what happens when you write in all caps? You're yelling. I mean, he's boom, bewitched you. The bewitching, you, you run that back and you go back into 1 Samuel and you see the witch of Endor as she raises up from the dead Sol Solomon to speak to Saul. And God says, don't you call what I call dead stays dead. Don't you resurrect that ever again, Israel. And what are these guys doing? They're bringing up the law. Keep reading. That you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get saved, guys? Was it by faith or was it by doing something? Well, the, on, the honest answer is faith. They're confused. They don't know how to answer that question. Because he says to them, are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? You see, you see how they have a double-minded way? They're saying, yeah, we got started right, but now we got to finish it up. You know, we got saved by Paul's gospel, and now we got to work to stay saved, work to prove we're saved, start, all this stuff. And Paul's like, you're, you're, <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're bewitched. You've raised the law. The law has been dead. It's been canceled, and you're now over here doing it. So he begins to deal with them. Now, come to the end of chapter 3, because the goal is to get into chapter 4. <laughs> and he deals with them, and he's back and forth with them, and he goes down through, and, and actually, you're in chapter 3. If you look there at verse 26, for ye are all the children of God, how? By faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How were you baptized into Christ? Was it a water ceremony or was it the activity of the Holy Spirit, spirit baptism? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says a spirit baptism, a dry baptism. Ephesians chapter 4, he says we have one baptism. Which, well, which is it? Matthew 3 has got three of them in it, water, spirit, and fire. Which one are we going to do? So now we got to, so, but they had muddied the waters with many baptisms. He's like, no, you, this is who you are. You're identified by one, by one spirit have you been baptized into Christ. 
Verse 28, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all, what? One in Christ. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He ends chapter 3, which ends a section. By the way, Galatians is sections 1 to 3 and then 4 to 6, okay? He ends that section with a reminder of, of what Romans 6, 7, and 8 has taught you. Who you are. Who are you? Here's your identity in Christ. Here's the identifications in Christ. So now you know how to go and to operate. And the grace of God gives you everything you have in Christ. And the issue is who you are in him. The issue is are you in him? And now you need to understand who you are in him. You, look, hold down here. Look over Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. So the grace of God gives you everything, all that you have in Christ. And when he does that, I mean, you think about, look at Colossians 2. You, you, you think about that list in Galatians 3. What did I say? Colossians 2. Okay. I said like eight different passages in the first hour. So, you know, anyway, Colossians 2. Look at verse number 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? So walk ye in him. How did rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving? How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? What did Galatians 3 tell you? You received it by faith, didn't you? By faith in Christ Jesus. So now how am I going to go walk? I'm going to go walk the same way. I'm walking by faith. Come back, come back over to Galatians 3. So you think about... Now what's going to happen in Galatians 4? First word, now. Because of who you are in Christ, because you are justified by faith in Christ, because you're identified by faith through the baptism of the Spirit into Christ, because, well, verse 28, there's neither Jew, because we're all equal. There's no one higher than anyone else. We're all equal. We're all sinners. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, that song says. Why? Because Christ came, Paul proved it in the, in the courtroom of Romans 1 to 5. He says, hey, we're all sinners. We're all guilty. But by faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you now? You're in. And because of that, you have you're an heir according to the promise. That promise there is eternal life. And you get it. Now, because, for one, because of who you are by faith. Here's who you are in Christ. Now, that the, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Now, he's going to illustrate out some things here. And he's going to use the illustration here of a child and an heir. And he's doing some things because of verse number 4. Because that when the time was fulfilled, what happened? The son, God the son, came, became man, dwelt among men, the incarnation, the birth, the conception, the whole gamut ran. Why did it do that, verse 5? So that he can come and redeem some people. Get them out from underneath the guilt of the law. Now, because of who you are in Christ, he's going to bring in this issue of an heir. As long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Boy, isn't that a wonderful thing? Ultimately, one day in our sonship out there in the heavenly places, when it is permanently established in the heavens, you know what we are going to be? Lord over all. Now, we're not going to be the Lord. We're just going to have those positions. Verse 2. Fascinating verse, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Great way to define the law. By the way, he's talking about an heir. He's talking about a child. He's not talking about an adult here. An adult isn't under the tutor. You know what a tutor does? Tells you what to think. Tells you what to say. Tells you how to movement. Do you know what a governor does? 
restricts that behavior. Tells you, don't do this, do that. What does the law do? The law tells you how to think about something, and then it tells you, don't go do that. They're underneath this. They're treated like a servant. They're under tutors and governors to educate them and to then restrain them. But then it says, until the time appointed of the father. Fathers, it's your job to know your children to the degree that you can sit with them and say, okay, you're no longer a you're no longer going to be treated like a child. It's dad's job. I know the law says 18, but you know what you do with that law, don't you? You know, the social studies and the studies of the human brain said that the human brain does not completely fully develop until the age of 25. So guess what, kids? You got to 25. And then you wonder even if 25 sometimes, right? But no, what happens? The, law, the, the society says, no, at 18 you can do. And you know what? Scripture says, no, it's dad's job. Why? Because dad, you're to know your children. You're to take care. You're to look at them. You're to understand them. I have two younger brothers. My two younger brothers are nothing like me. Thank the Lord. And I am not like them. Praise God. <laughs> okay? But you know what, though? My dad does what? He's had this conversation with all three of us. I was early... My middle brother was a little later in his life, and my younger brother was even a little later, you know. Why? Because we're all different personality-wise people. You're under what? You're under the constraints, the tutors. Here's what you're going to do. The governors, here's what not to do. And what people do is they use the law of Moses to do what that verse right there says, to tutor and to governor. And you know what they try to do as they get older and as they grow and as they learn? They try to use the law to stop sin in their life. Titus 3 verse number 12 says that the grace of God is what stops sin in your life. Again, Romans 6, 7, and 8, what are we learning? Romans 6, we're dead to sin. Why? Why is our relationship to sin dead? It's a dead man relationship there. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. Why? Because we're not under the law. We're under grace. So what do we do? We get this thinking and we, boom, we go back. All right? I, I told myself don't get off on things, but we're getting off on things. Okay? Now watch the application of this in verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Notice that. This is why, this, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When God dealt with Israel, what do, do you remember what God calls them all through the Old Testament? Children. He calls them children. It's not until the earthly ministry of the Lord do you begin to see the issue of them becoming the sons of God even dealt with, even talked about. By the way, how do they become sons of God? They become a part of that little flock, that believing remnant. They do it by faith. It's a spiritual issue. Israel was dealt with how? Tutors and governors, the law. Now, are they an heir? Of course they are. What did they get from the Abrahamic covenant? Land, a seed, and a blessing to everyone. That's what they're getting. But now, notice verse 3. He says, even so who? We. Now, Paul is a we. Paul is, includes who? Israel and the Gentile, doesn't he? So the we here is going to be both. He's talking about both here and how God the Father treats both groups. Israel, they, they have been pulled out from under the Mosaic law, the tutors and governors. And when they become the sons of God, the adoption. Again, in, adoption in Scripture isn't going and taking someone from one family into your family. That's what, we, that's what man thinks. Adoption in Scripture is you are in the family of God and you will be treated and set in that family as a an adult. And what does an adult do? Makes adult decisions. An adult looks at this and says, here's what God wants done. Here's the will of the Father. Let's go do that. 
let, let the Word of God train us on how to do it, and then let's go do that. And by the way, we're going to do it way before he ever asked us to do it. In Jeremiah, he's talking about the Messiah and his relationship with the Father and how he delights in doing what the Father would have him do. Joseph, or, uh, the Lord looks at Joseph and Mary there in Luke, and he, they're in the temple, and, and they leave him. They're in the synagogue. They leave him. They come back, and he says, Don't you know I'm about my father's business? And it's a capital F on father. Why is that? Because he's learning. The verse at the end of that in, in Luke 2 there uh, says that he grew in favor with God and with man. How is that? Because he's what? He's learning. He's growing. Great picture for you and I. What do we do? We learn. We grow. We're saved. We come, in, we come to the knowledge of the truth. We learn. We grow. And what begins to happen then is in time we begin to say, you know what? This is what the Father's doing. Let's go do that. <laughs> and we get there. So when you come here with this, the issue here of adoption, the issue of adoption here is not going over and becoming a part of, it's rather coming over and it's now time to be an, an adult. And when the Lord looks at you as a member of his body, he says you're an adult from the very beginning. Now, adults learn and grow and mature. And then you know what happens? They mature some more. And then they mature. Yeah, and they never stop. Some cases never begin. <laughs> but they never, you just mature. You're constantly what? Growing. I said it earlier, the Philippians were perfect, yet they still had issues, didn't they? Do you know the great church at Thessalonica, the model church that everybody uses to be a model? You know they struggled with some stuff? And it overtook them. What, they got to learn. They've got to grow. You never stop learning. You never stop growing. You've got this issue here in, in verse 5, to redeem them that are under the law. Wow, look at that. Why did the Lord come? Verse 4, I'm I, I sk skipping over it, but we're going to get back to it. Why does the Lord come? Why is he made of a woman? Why is he made, by the way, under the law? The Lord says in Matthew 5, I came not to destroy the law. I came to what? Fulfill it. When the Lord was born, late September, early October, when he was born, you know what he was born under? The Mosaic law. That's where he was born. That's why Mary's got her separation for the time. That's why on the eighth day they got him up getting him circumcised and they're doing. Why? Because he's made under the law. When all of that, why did he do all of that? Why is all of that important? Well, that's what verse 5, 6, and 7 is all about now. What is he going to do? To redeem them that are what? Under the law. Well, who's under the law? But so are you and I. Look over at Ephesians, or actually Colossians. Chapter number 2. You see, the law, we got Colossians 2, go back to Romans 3. Romans 3. You see, you and I as Gentiles, when we by nature do the law, it became a law unto ourselves. Now, the law was given to Israel. That's clear. We understand that. But when he says to redeem them that are under the law, so that what? We can be have what? The adoption of sons. There's more going on than just Israel getting it. Romans chapter 3, if you look at verse 19, the conclusion of the courtroom of this part here of the judgment of man, verse 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, and who's under the law? Israel. That every mouth may be what? Stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, the law had an impact on the Gentiles as well. And you know what it did? Think about this. I, I think about Romans 1, 2, and 3. You've got Paul prosecuting the case against humanity. And you know, you know people, you know man, I, you know. I didn't do it. He did it. And they begin to raise a defense of, we were good until God showed up. And when God showed up, then it all went bad. So it's God's fault. It's not my fault. It's God. And, you know, so they just constantly, Israel, well, we had the oracles of God. We we're good to go. It's God who's unrighteous. And you know what man does? Dumps it right in on God. And you know what God finally says, verse 19? Shut up. 
When he says every mouth may be stopped, that is a shut up. You're done talking. You're guilty. That's the conclusion. But why are you guilty? Because, verse 23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've concluded, verse 9, all are sinners. That's why you're guilty. And by the way, the courtroom goes on and the judge says, you know what, you're guilty, but my son paid the price and I'm going to put him in your stead. So your sentence of hell and the lake of fire and eternal damnation and eternal separation from my presence is going to be taken care of by my son at Calvary. So what does he do? He's redeeming us from the law, Colossians 2, verse 14. Colossians 2. Verse 14, Colossians 2, 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You see, in Galatians 4, when he comes across here and he says he did this to redeem them that are under the law, the purpose and the reason for him coming was to do that right there. He had a plan. He had an ultimate plan, an ultimate goal to come and to redeem mankind and to come in and to save mankind. Do for man what man could never do for himself because he was a sinner. And that started back before the foundation of the world. We just spent 17 studies looking at some of that stuff back there. And you know what? When God looked at that plan and the blueprint of creation, in Proverbs 3, he called it wisdom, and he had a wisdom plan. And that's the plan we're working out is wisdom. And he says, you know what? My wisdom plan says I'm going to allow man to have free will, to have a choice. And I know that they can make a bad decision. Let's watch Adam and Eve. They made a bad decision. But you know what I have? I've got an answer for man's bad decision. What is that? Philippians 2, the Lord, he humbles himself. He becomes obedient unto death of the cross. He's made him form, takes on the likeness of men, the form of a servant. And what happens? He's made of a woman. But notice in verse 4, God sent forth his son. This wasn't, hey, by the way, come here, son. I want you to go down there to Circle K and do this for me. No, this has been planned from before the foundation of the world, from before he ever created anything on that. I, I, I love blueprints. When I was working in real estate and being appraiser, I got talk, tasked with the job of appraising stuff that never existed yet. But I had to use blueprints and do a blueprint appraisal, they called it. And you got a form and you do this and that. But the blueprint was, here's the big, and then you had sub blueprints to get the, the detail. God says, here's the big, and oh, why, by the way, these appendix, small guys, we're going to keep those secret. We're not going to reveal those. And what we're going to do over here is something else, but we're going to do this. Before he did anything, before he scraped one inch of dirt, created one inch of dirt, before he laid anything, he looks at her, Job, we've looked at it, where were you when I laid the beams? Where were you when I did this? You weren't there, but you're on the blueprint for day six because he's got a task for man. But he knew man would do what? He knew man had a choice. Good, obey God's word. Evil, say no thank you. Man chose the evil, said no thank you. God said that's okay. I'm going to send my son right when it's time And when he shows up, he's coming to, verse 5, to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He's going to do something that's going to allow the church, the body of Christ, to receive something. He's going to do Calvary, the cross. He's going to redeem. If you look, you're in chapter 4, look back up Galatians 3. Look at verse 13. He's going to redeem us from the the law. What's 3.13 say? Christ hath redeemed us from the what? The curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 
for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on. He, from the curse of the law, he became more than just another human. He came and he became man so that he could go to the cross and liberate you from the obligations of the law. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us. And he paid the debt of sin. And he did that so you and I, go back to chapter 4, verse 6, verse 5, might receive the what? The adoption of sons. And this is what's so wonderful about Now, we're going to look at verse 4 in detail. We're going to take you back into Daniel. We're going to draw out the timeline so you can see it. See it clearly. How do you know that? How in the world would Mary know the timing? How would Anna and Simon know the timing as they're waiting for the consolation? They're waiting for the salvation of Israel. They have a timeline. They got a Bible. They got the Word of God. They study it. They look at it. They laid it all out. When, when uh, Gabriel shows up to Zacharias, Elizabeth's husband, there, why doesn't he pass out dead and freak out? He knows something's up. Uh, he can't speak. Blah, 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 blah. And by the way, you know why he's dumb? Because he questioned the angel's word. That's why he went dumb. What did he do? He questioned the word of God. <laughs> so God said, you can't speak because we got to get this done. It's what? It's time. He came to redeem us so that we could do what? Re that we might receive the adoption of sons. The whole purpose of the incarnation of God sending his son. The whole purpose of redeeming us, the whole purpose of setting us free for paying the debt of sin was so that we could have be what? Sons, adults. I said it last couple of studies. God has always had sons, adults running his creation. The angelic realm, they're called sons of God. Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about why he would be, why he didn't just be morning, but he's what? Son of the morning. Because adults run the show. Growing up, my, my dad, mom always said, more my dad than my mom, children do not make demands on grown-ups. Now, that idea got lost a long time ago. But you know what would happen if the Jordan boys were making demands on grown-ups? We couldn't walk for a week. Why? Because kids don't make demand on grown-ups. And as I got older and, you know, was getting there and I understood why, you, you, you know, you, you, get, you can't walk a few times, you figure it out, don't do it, you know. So you get over there and, and, and then a, a, I had a little lady, uh, she, she looks at me and she goes, Rick, you, you, you're okay, you can do that. And I'm like, okay, but don't tell my mom. Please don't tell my mom. Why? I'm 20-something years old. You know what? Children don't make demands on grown-ups. I'm like, Mom, I'm, I'm, you know, Dad and I, we've had this conversation a long time ago. I'm an adult. You know? Nope, boom. Why? Because what are you? You're not matured yet. God says, you know what you are? You are matured. You are an adult. You are a son. Now you've got to grow up. You've got to learn some things. But here's who you are. The whole purpose of him coming was to give us the free gift of adoption. That legal position to be Lord of all things. The legal position to exercise the right to live as an adult. To live in the identity that God has given us in Christ. The moment you trusted Christ, he gives you this identity. We got to go learn and study and grow and get it down, you know. OJT, on-the-job training. But then there comes a day when the light bulbs go off, the angels sing, the heavens open, and it clicks, and you go, there we go, now I've got it. And the, and the Lord finally says, man, it took you long enough. Gee, what's going on here? No, what does he say? Glad you're here. And oh, by the way, I'm going to exhort you to have brotherly love a little more, 1 Thessalonians 4. Just a little more. You need a little more of that. You need a little more of the one anotherings. We'll talk about them in February. Well, a little more. You need a little more. And you go, but Lord, I'm doing all I can do. You can do more. 
you can do more. The end, the end of the commandment is charity. Charity is one of the most misunderstood doctrines in Paul's epistles, and yet it is one of the most vital doctrines concerning mature believers. And that's because they like to change that word from charity to love. Love. No, it's charity because there's a doctrinal principle there. Anyway, I, I told myself not to get off. You're, the issue, verse 6, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I think about that. What are you? You're a son. You're an adult. You need to act like it. You need to, you know, you see the things that come nowadays. It's Facebook. It used to be in conversation, you know, where, you know, they're, the, the, they're still little boys with big toys. Yeah. He with the most toys in the end wins. Loses. Okay, I like that. See, you see all that now in faith. But the issue is, is you're an adult. How does an adult act? How does an adult behave? How does... Why? And again, it's not a law to, to say, if you don't do it, I'm going to smack you. It says, this is what you ought to do. Here's what the will. What, look, look over with me at Romans 12. I, you know, we're not there, and, and I got a few more minutes with you just to kind of get you. Look at Romans 12. This is, you take Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, you'll spend a lifetime trying to live out these passages. You want something to do. In Philippians 4, he says, think on these things, and he lists the whole things. Things are virtue and pure. And you go, okay, what are those? How about Romans 12? You I'd say what? Look at Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Whoa, look at that. Dissimulation, hypocrisy. Let it be genuine and true, not just to get the accolades and, oh, wow, man, they, they liked me on Facebook. Woohoo! No, be true. Let the true be there. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is... Do you abhor, hate. Do you hate the evil? Or are you like Isaiah says, what they call good, evil, and evil, good? Do you hate the evil? You ought to. You ought to love the good. Hate the evil. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Now, there's the mushy-gushy kind of, you know, touchy-feely love. That's not, by the way, that's not charity. Okay, charity is an action word. You read that stuff in 1 Corinthians 13, and everything is action. It's movement. It's moving. And the question then is, is what's motivating the action? Because that's ultimately what charity and where charity comes from. Abhor that was the uh, brotherly love. In honor, preferring. One, do you do that? We're going to spend some time in uh, February. My plan is... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, your love language. And it's February, Valentine's Day. Everybody's thinking about, you know, isn't that so cool? We're going to talk about your, the love language. But we're going to do it the love language of Paul. And you know what it is? It's a one-anothering. And he talks about preferring one another. Do you prefer one another? Isn't that interesting? Rather than getting it for me, what does Philippians 2 say? Everything's done uh, without strife and vainglory, esteeming others better than yourselves. Rejo uh, verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope. Uh, oh, man, just real quick. Run down to verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Do you do that? Are you honest with men? Well, as an adult, you should. Man, telling the truth is the way to be all the time. Whether it hits you and hurts you or whether it liberates you, you tell the truth. Why? Because what does the book say? What's the Word of God say you as a believer, as a member of the, of the body of Christ? What are you to do? You're to provide all things honest before all men. Verse 21, you're not to be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? 
Good. You're to, be, you have, you're, you're to have a guard. You're to have that armor going. You're to have that functionality of who you are out there right in front, moving things and deflecting and being there. Why? Because you are an adult in the family, and an adult talks and acts like this, not like a little child over here sniveling in the corner trying to get things done their way. You see, folks, the reason why Christ came was because he had an ultimate goal for you and I. And in order for you and I to function properly in the heavenly places, we have to be what? Adults. We have to be sons. In order for Israel to operate and function properly in the earthly kingdom, they have to be what? Adults. They have to be sons. You're in chapter 13. He deals with our relationship with the government. Chapter 14, he deals with our relationship with other believers. You come on over to Ephesians uh, 4. Come on over there, Ephesians 4. People, <laughs> when we were in Ephesians 5.18, they're talking about marriage and the roles. By the way, Ephesians 5.18, that stuff we did about marriage, we were talking about the roles in marriage, Okay? These are the roles that you take. I had a guy ask, I forgot what I was going to say. Man, it was something that was really good, too. Ephesians 4. It'll come back to me. Ephesians 4. Look at verse 26. Be be angry and what? How you doing with that one? (laughs) Not well, sounds like. No. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the things which is good, that, here's the reason, here's the duty, that he may have to give to them that needeth. How are you doing with that one? Over the last couple years, I've seen a lot of grace people quit jobs and leave jobs and sit at home and take the welfare checks. Well, how can you do it? Don't you know? They, made, they do it with a clear conscience. I asked one question. The guy promptly unfriended me, won't return emails, won't return phone calls. I've known the man almost 40 years. You know why? I called him on the carpet about that verse right there. Your job's not to do that. Now, is that stuff okay? Sure. It's there for the moment. But if you can go work a job, what are you going to be doing? Work the job. Get out there and go. See, a whole different way to think about life. How about verse 29? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, everybody says, that's swearing. No swearing. But you know what? That's not talking about swearing. You know how you know? Finish reading the verse. By the way, you shouldn't swear. Okay? Let me just say that real quick. You shouldn't swear. You know what what swearing shows? Your lack of vocabulary. That's what it shows. It shows that you can take someone else that has a vocabulary bigger and better than yours and drag them into the mud. That's all it shows. But this verse isn't. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister what? So what am I communicating that's going to minister grace and be edifying? Sound doctrine, right? So as an adult, what's my language going to look like? What's my language going to have as content? The grace, the word, the sound doctrine, the hey, we need to be talking about this. That's why I said last week, some of you gave me the old crooked evil eye. You don't need to be consumed with what's happening in this world. In Ephesians over there, he he talks about, not in Ephesians, uh, Timothy, he says, hey, a good soldier does not get entangled in the the affairs of this world. No, you stay the course, stay the fight. I had an email from a guy back east. I say a guy just so you don't know who it really is, female. Actually, this was a lady. And she's like, no, we got to fight the evil. And I'm sitting there going, and that's what's consuming. I, I don't respond to those kind of emails, by the way. That's what's consuming her thought. And, you know, meantime, you know what's happening on her life? <whistles> Out of control. Keep reading. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, verse 30, of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and 
in that interest, evil speaking, be what? Put away from you with all malice. Not just put away. Put away with malice. Put away seriously. I am not doing that anymore. You know what the greatest relationship killer? You know what the greatest marriage killer is? Bitterness. Right there. You know what destroys a marriage quicker than money or in-laws and outlaws and all that other stuff? It's bitterness. When one's bitter against the other. That's why in Colossians, oh, I, I told myself not to do this. Colossians 3. Colossians 3.19. Hold on to Ephesians 4. You see, folks, why did Christ come? To redeem us so that we could go over here and be something that we could never be before, and that's adults. That's sons. Look at Colossians 3. Look at verse 19. Husband, love your wives, and be not, what? Bitter against them. Now go back to Ephesians 4. You see, let all, what? Wrath and anger and clamor and bitterness. Let all, by the way, uh, Ephesians 4.31, bitterness is the first one in the list. So how do you do that? How do you remove the bitterness? By the way, it's not just on husband's side. It's also on the wife's side. That's why I said marriage, okay? How do I do this? How about the next verse? And be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Well, you just don't know the sap I've married. You just don't know what he's like or what she's like. doesn't matter. I do know they're sinners. But be ye what? Kind. Kindness is gone today in our society. One to another, tenderhearted. Notice, forgiving one another. You want to take care of bitterness and wrath and anger? You know what you're going to have to practice? Forgiveness. And where that comes from is being tenderhearted, and it comes from being kind. Okay, but I don't want to forgive them. Well, finish that verse. You don't have a say to say, I don't want to do it. There's things in the Word of God to you and I today. Even as God, for Christ's sake, what? Hath forgiven you. Come over to Colossians 3. There's things in the God's Word that says to you and I today in the age of grace, in the dispensation of grace, that you have no right to ignore and not obey and do. Can I say it any more forcefully? And this issue of forgiveness is one of them. Look at Colossians 3. And look at verse 13. Now, this one's not about marriage. By the way, Ephesians 4.31 is not about, uh, 4.32 is not about marriage either. It's about relationships. In a, but how do you get rid of the bitterness? Because we can have a relationship, and I can be bitter, you can be bitter. Uh, how do we fix it? Well, Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another. Well, that would be kind of good, wouldn't it? <laughs> and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. You know, you know what it is to be forgiven. You know how to forgive. You know what it feels like to be forgiven. Why? Because Christ forgave you. Now finish that verse. So do also what? Do ye. You have no right to say, I ain't forgiven them. You know why? Because that verse says you better do it. Now what happens if you don't? In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2 over there, they're not forgiving someone, and Paul says, you need to forgive him, lest Satan take an advantage of us. Because what does unforgiveness fester? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, uneasiness, hate. No. What are you to do as an adult in the family of God? You're to practice what the book's teaching you to do and how to be. And you know how you're going to do? You're going to have forbearance and forgiveness and long-suffering. Why? Because that person, whoever it is, is a saint of the Most High God. This is, a, this is saved people. By the way, unsaved people, what do they need? They need to hear the gospel and get saved. Then you can do That's why in Romans 12 we didn't talk about the enemies and everything. What are you going to do? You're going to go over there and Why? Because you're trying to weed, weed them. Win them. <laughs> okay? Weed them. Weed them out. Yeah, get rid of them. You see, there's things here. 
that begin to come into play in Galatians 4.4. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth the Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Why? To redeem us. Why? So that we can have a standing in God's plan and program as adults. Mature, perfected saints doing the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4 says. How do we get there? We study the Word. Look at these verses. I, I'm, I should be whistling Dixie to the choir here. That's what, it's right here. And yet what happens? Our little old flesh gets in there and gets a little blown. You know, we get so excited. That dirty, rotten rat, if he does that again, I'm going to whack him in the head. You know, I mean, and sure enough, what does that little dirty, rotten rat do? He does it. And what do you do? Whack him in the head. And then he, what did you hit me for? You know? And, 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 and then, you know, then you're over here dealing with somebody, and you're, and you're having a good time, and everything's going well, and then they do something. And you go, you know what? That was stupid. Wait, 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 wait. And, and the next thing you know, you, you know what you're doing? You're sitting at home watching a football game all alone. The wife won't even sit in the room with you anymore. Now, that's because I hoot and holler and yell at the TV. It isn't because I, but that's what happens. And Paul says, no, that's not what, how an adult acts. An adult behaves this way. And the reason he came and the reason he was born of a woman, the reason for this is so that you and I can be sons. We can know the will of the Father. We can delight in doing that will. And then we're willing to walk in that will with the Father. We can go and be that. And you know where that begins? It begins right here with you. It begins with understanding why the incarnation, when it happens and all that, and we'll get into that next time. Verse 4, okay? Just catch, go back to Galatians 4. I just want you to catch the goal the goal of him coming, the goal of the incarnation, the goal of the birth, because of the revelation given to us by the Apostle Paul, we now know the goal of that is so that he can have in Israel, as well as in the church, the body of Christ, a governmental structure that's being run and operated by adults. Now, how we get there is different than Israel, but that's what you call rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? And that's what he's after. That's why in verse 6 he says that in our hearts we can cry what? Abba, Father. The only other human to ever cry that was the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he cried it right after he just said, not my will, but thy will be done. And he cries it. And he cries it right before he says the third and final time, not my will, but thy will be done. He cries it. Why? Because that's what an adult says. Not my will, but thy will be done. So as we are going to move into Tis the Season Part 2, and we're going to look at verse 4 next week, just kind of catch the flavor of what's going on here. There's a reason why he came when he came and for the purposes. And Paul's revelation shines a big old bright light on it and says, here's why. That's why Paul will say that he was, that he was raised according to my God. The seed of David was raised according to my gospel. There's a reason. Because his revelation, Paul's revelation, shines a big old light on this and says, here it is. And you and I need to know. I'm probably going to give you more detail than what you really need to know, but we need to know and understand that this season, what, what's happening in your life, look, folks, you got family traditions, you got things you like to do, uh, you know, white elephant gifts, I was, you know, all this stuff, that's great and wonderful. Go do it. Enjoy yourself. But don't miss the opportunity to talk about your Savior, you know? And if you don't do all that, great, more, more power to you. <laughs> Helps you out. But don't miss the opportunity to be who you are in Christ, where you're at and what you're doing. Because ultimately, you know what you are? You're an adult. And adults make decisions to do things. And by the way, you pay the consequence when they're bad, but you also reap the benefit when they're good. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions here. 
And we thank you that when the fullness of time was come, that you sent forth your Son, made of a woman and made under the law, to redeem us. To reach down then and to save sinful man. Give that opportunity to save for sinful man to be justified, to be redeemed. So then we can go and participate willingly in your plan and program. In your name we pray.